All right, welcome guys. Thanks so much for tuning in. Today I'm sitting down with Travis Mash, and we're going to be talking about athlete monitoring. So first off, Travis, thanks so much for jumping on, man. It's it's awesome to have you here. Um, can you tell people a little bit about yourself who maybe aren't familiar with you and, and your background? Yeah, I give like the bullets. You know, I, I uh, played football at Appalachian State University. It was my first like uh, experience with high-level athleticism, and then uh, it was a good experience. That's a whole that's a whole podcast itself. But then I went straight to Colorado Springs because I was a better weightlifter than I was really a football player. So I started working with Wes Barnett, who's a two-time Olympian, and he started coaching me. A year later, I got invited to the Olympic Training Center, so I was you know training there, which was a great experience. And uh, got to meet Charles Polkin, got to meet uh, the guys from T Nation, uh, Tim Patterson, the owner, the, the editor-in-chief there. And... Um, Oh, and Dr. Mike Leahy, the guy who invented active release technique. But then in like uh, right around 2000, my father was diagnosed with lung cancer and it was terminal. So I made the decision to move back to North Carolina because, you know, obviously I want to be with my dad. And at the time that was like, you know, like I said, it was 2000, 2001. There was no, uh, there was no CrossFit. So we could do weightlifting on every corner. There were buffer plates, you know, and there was no coaches. And so I, Opted to go back to powerlifting. Um, 2004, I broke the all-time world record in 220 class. Broke Ed Cohn's record. It's uh, Ed Cohn's record that had stood like 15 years at 24.10, and then I broke it again the next year, 24.14. Uh, meanwhile, to ramp up to what's what's important to your audience is like I was coaching a- athletes the entire time. My first athlete was. A volleyball player in 1996 or seven, I think maybe 1997. Jenny Driscoll, she was awesome. She played collegiate volleyball. I can't even remember what school, but since then I've been working with athletes. Um, now I'm more known for like strength athletes, especially weightlifting. I'm back into that sport. We've got uh, I've had 30 Team USA athletes uh, since 2015, and now I'm working towards a PhD because I thought all oh, that wasn't enough, evidently. And so here we are. Coaching athletes started a university program, a weightlifting program at Lenore Run University for my, you know, well, there's some kids. They all aged out at the same time. So I wanted a place that I could coach them and they could still go to school. And it just worked out down the road from us here. It's in Hickory, North Carolina. And I could work on a PhD and learn new things even at 48 years old. So that's it. That's the summary. That's awesome, man. And um, yeah, so I guess the the way we initially connected, I've followed your work for quite a while um, on and off and for, for several years. But then I think we recently connected on uh, at Kabuki Education Week, where you had a pretty awesome presentation on weightlifting and athlete monitoring. And so um, my audience is a little bit different, still strength athletes, but more powerlifting, kind of probably strongman focused. Um, and strongman is a awesome sport by the way and it's awesome to see it grow in our country anyway sorry to interrupt yeah no no no. it's 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 definitely been really cool to kind of see just the the different types of athleticism that are involved in in the various sports and so um i guess uh, a good place to start would be like when you're deciding like when you're actually beginning the coaching process with an athlete how do you actually decide um what you want to achieve through athlete monitoring because I know a lot of people talk about data collection. They talk about, you know, HRV and all these different metrics, which are great. But then how do you actually go through that process and then integrate it in terms of, you know, what you're going to collect initially and then how you're going to actually apply that? That's, a, that's the best question anyone's ever asked me about data monitoring because it all starts in the assessment. 
because like nothing really matters unless you get a base level, you know, readout. And so what we do, the very first thing, we're going to look at the force velocity profile with velocity based training. Um, shout out to Moir. And um, then we're going to go into, you know, the simple stuff that everyone does. We're going to look at range of motion and we do a very simple one, you know, for weightlifters, we do a close grip overhead squat. Now, if there's a form breakdown, then we go joint for joint and we, and we get specific with the goiometer. But like at the beginning, if they can do a close grip over a squat, they can snatch and clean and jerk. And so now if I was doing a football player, I would do several other movement assessments, but I'm talking about whether to specifically. And so, and then, you know, we have a starting point and we really look at uh, the degrees. Now, besides that, we do, we do an RSI resistant um, reactive strength index which is a depth jump. Uh, and we do just one. A lot of people do it where they do several different heights. You see where the breakdown happens. What I do is do 45 centimeters for all my athletes. And then we look at a T-score. So they're all compared against each other. So I see which guys suck and which guys are good. Um, you can also look at um, for reactive strength index before I get too far. What it is, they do a depth jump and you look at ground contact time and height. And you take the height and divide it by the ground contact time. It gives you a variable. And so... Uh, if your people have, this is what I've learned. If they have a, a high jump, but a very long ground contact time, you probably got a very strong person, but their elasticity is bad. So you really need to work on, you know, tendons, the joints, and tightening those up. And a lot of powerlifters, by the way, that's where they would fall, which is why they normally tear. You know, they get the bad tears with the ligaments or the tendon snaps, and the whole muscle rolls up. Whereas a lot of sprinters they're going to get the tears in the muscle itself versus like the tendon because uh, their tendons are super strong and super thick. But anyway, so if someone's got a good, you know, a very low ground contact time, so they're at 0.2 seconds, but yet they don't jump very high. Well, then I know to focus on strength. So that's the nutshell of why we, we look at that. And we look at that ongoing, by the way, we look at it every single day. They do a 45 centimeter, um, depth jump at the beginning of practice after the warm. So I think that's gone through. The, oh, we also do a um, dynamic strength index. And that's where you look at a vertical leap and how much force someone can produce with just their body weight into, you know, the, the uh, force place. And then you look at the exact same thing. They do like a, a loaded something like a, like a barbell jump, or you could just do a barbell squat and see how much force someone can, can display under load. And those are, two totally different variables. Once again, you'll find out, do you have an explosive and weak athlete or do you have a strong and slow? So those are the variables we start with. And then, um, you know, over time, you know, we look at it on a day-to-day basis and we see how people are trending up or down. And so relative to, um, I guess I'm particularly interested in, in sort of that, that dynamic between you mentioning like weak, but explosive or weak, but fast versus right. strong and really slow. How would that correspond to the development of a power lifter? If their, their primary um, objective is maximal strength. So like, I guess, slow strength, if that makes sense. Good point. So like in the first two years, it would mean zero and mean diddle, but like then once, you know, you've got a good base underneath one thing that, let me give an example. We had Ryan Grimsland, who's my, my top weightlifter. And so we looked at his force velocity profile and I'm going to bring it to, to powerlifting. It's not, has nothing to do with snatch and clean jerk, what I'm about to talk about. 
And so we looked and we found that between 60 and 70%, there was a major breakdown. You're talking about a guy who's got a, you know, 40 something inch standing vertical jump. You know, he, he snatched now um, 156 kilograms, weighing 73 kilograms. So for the pounds, for people who kilogram challenge, that means he did a um, 344 pounds snatch weighing 160 pounds. So it's rather incredible. That's unofficial junior world record. And he did it at body, at the correct body weight. So anyway, um, we targeted those. So we, when we found that there was a, ver- that a velocity breakdown between 60 and 70%, I'm telling you, he spent, you know, it was like eight to 12 weeks and he did not go heavy at all. We targeted the, that, um, that zone. And it was the first time in life. And I remember too, I've coached this boy since he was 14. So it's not like, he just came to me and like, he, this is just what happens. He always gets strong. Like I've, I've tracked his squat progression since he was a baby, you know, basically. And so anyway, in those 12 weeks of not going heavy and focusing on that specific quality of strength, which is like strength speed. So right. Yeah. The, his squat went up 10 kilos, which is 22 pounds. Now for a power lifter, they're like, eh, that's a good jump, but I've done better. But remember he didn't gain an ounce. He's hundred at that time. He was 148 pounds. And so the, you know, you think about percentage of body weight that he gained on that squat and it wasn't his focus. His focus is snatch and clean and jerk. That's what he competes at. So it was a massive jump for a boy, his size and for a guy who's at the highest of high levels, you know, in weightlifting. So that's just an example anecdotal, of course. Yeah. And so, so what, what do you attribute that to? Because I've seen like in, in powerlifting, this is always kind of an ongoing debate. Sure, it is, sure is. I think that both sides have a really good points, right? Where, you know, you do more volume at kind of like a moderate intensity, relative intensity. Um, and some people say, well, that's not going to translate to a 1RM because your technique breakdown is like the technical execution is a little bit different, which mm-hmm. I definitely understand that. I've too. also had experience with athletes who have done a little bit higher volumes, you know, like eight reps and things like that. On, on a squat who have seen, you know, their, their rep PRs translate into a new one rep max. And so there's a little bit of disagreement there, but I think that both sides have some good points. And so um, I'm just trying to wonder, like, or sorry, just trying to ask, like, what do you think the reason is for, for working at those kind of ranges where you're seeing like, Hey, my athlete's breaking down and why might the, like, what is the rationale for that actually translating to a new one rep max? Right. Okay. So uh, you, you have athletes that are genetically, you know, super explosive and fast and probably do really well and they're strong and probably do really well at doing like singles and like low, lower volume, higher uh, intensities. And so, but then you have the athletes that, that need the high reps to get any ounce of gains and they probably rely on hypertrophy and strength. And like, that's just the way, you know, they have to do either way there's going to be breakdowns in, in the system. And here's the thing, like strength is like so broad term. You have so many different qualities of strength. And so if someone has a breakdown anywhere, no matter who you are, if there's a very noticeable breakdown, there's a breakdown in the system at large. You know, it's not just like getting strong. It's not just a muscular thing. It's definitely not just a neural thing. It's a neuromuscular thing. So it's how that system rolls together. So if there's a breakdown, a very direct breakdown, you know, just like anything else with homeostasis, the body notices that there's a, you know, something not proper at this stage. So it shuts you down in general. This is theoretical, of course. You know, Brian Mann has done most of the, you know, the research when it comes to the performance. But like, in the, the only thing that I can 
think of and conceptualize other than the data that I've collected to say that it works is that it must be the brain, you know, there's a breakdown in the system at large. And so if that noticeable breakdown improves the body, just like, you know, it would be like, um, okay, like if you've got a problem at the knee joint, you're not going to jump as high. Your body's not going to be able to produce as much force because there's, there's a problem in the system. If there, if you're all of a sudden you get a 60% and your velocity is, is way slower than it was at 50%, you know, and it, and then it stays about the same all the way to 80%, you have a problem within your neuromuscular system. So, you, you know, you need to address it and get your body efficient at that quality of strength. And then, once again, theoretically, I think then the whole system operates at a higher level. Yeah, I know that makes sense. I've definitely seen athletes where, and actually it's, it's funny because I'm kind of similar to, to one of the examples that you're saying, I, I think anyways, um, where one of my good friends, he's incredibly strong and you look at him pull a deadlift, like he'll, he'll pull like, let's say 750 and it looks like an absolute like RPE nine or 10 grinder. Right. Then he'll do like six more reps and they all look the same. There's no, you know, there's no major slowing down. Whereas for me, like I'll smoke a bench press or a squat and people will be like, dude, you've got like 50 more kilos. Me too. That's like, yeah. that's it. Yeah. Like, I don't have a very, I don't have like a gradual decline. It's like, I'm very, very explosive. And then boom, I'm just done. Okay. So with you, what I would do is spend a lot of quality time at the, the as much as I can. So, you know, you can't just make this arbitrary statement and say, well, then you need to spend all your time at 90% and being able to grind at slower velocities. But we all know if you spend a lot of time at 90%, there's going to be a breakdown that's going to happen. So what I would do by collecting data, I would see over time, you know, when we've had breakdowns, like what happened, how high was the threshold at that percentage but i would definitely try to up the percentage i would definitely implement with you i would definitely do more like um what's it called the, the tempo work where you learn to like be able to you know like in theory most great powerlifters should be able to grind a deadlift or a squat at you know 0.18 meters per second or slower you know and so and if you can't then you have room for growth at that lower level and so and for hayden bow he probably needs to do quite the opposite. He probably needs to spend a lot of time like, getting explosive like you. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, it definitely does. And so I guess I would kind of come back to like, even, even like um, rate of force development, especially if you're looking at like, uh, let's say a sumo deadlift rate of force development is probably going to be a little bit more important. Whereas, sure. you know, maybe it's a little bit less important in a conventional because you, you're not necessarily struggling off the floor. So I can definitely see how that, how that comes into it. Um, so I guess once you know the objective, like you, you've right. taken in your athlete, you've done your evaluation, you say, okay, these are the things that they need. How do you determine which metrics that you should be monitoring? Because I think that's another thing that people kind of are, are confused about. Like I've known people who are like, oh, I track number of lifts. Other people track RPE, yeah. other people track all these different things. And I think they're all pretty good, especially if you have some sort of combination of tracking a handful of different metrics, they right. can, you know, I guess develop the landscape a little bit clearer for you, but how do you actually go about selecting the metrics for, for each person and then um, actually implementing that as well? Right. So like, you know, I mostly work with weightlifters, so I have that to go off of. And so like what we do, and I, 
I and I work with collegiate weightlifters for the most part. So what we first metric that we look at is a subjective questionnaire that they fill out every single day, which gets monotonous. But um, I just heard of a great idea yesterday to switch those questions up. So people actually have to think about it more often. But anyway, I haven't implemented it yet. But so every day they're going to they're going to answer questions like the amount of sleep, um, how many meals they've had. Now, the better they are, not be my bet. That's, that's not the right word. The longer that they've the, been training, I'm going to get more specific. So like Ryan, we're going to look at like, we're going to make him wear a whoop. And we're not going to just look at quality sleep. I'm going to look at concrete data, like, you know, REM sleep, deep sleep. Mainly, how long did you stay asleep though? Exactly. Not just based on what he says. And we're going to track his macros with something more than just him saying, I've had two meals. Cause that's, a, what does that even mean? A rookie lifter it's fine. That That's all I need to know. But like for this guy who's trying to go to Olympics, I need to know to the, you know, to the one macro, like, what did you eat? And so uh, then we're going to look at, here's an important one, stress. And this is all free too. So anyone listening, like what we're talking about now is just you doing the work and building a little questionnaire. We look at stress outside of training. So like, you know, when I make a program, I am like making a program to stress your body to create adaptation. However, I'm coaching college athletes who have exams, they might argue with their uh, professor, shit, they might break up with their girl. And so uh, I need to know those things so I can like make it a change. A program is just a program. So anyone who out there and brags on their programming, that's one thing. Sure, you got a pretty good base level, but a great coach makes adjustments on the fly based on data though, you know, the subjective questionnaire being first. Then I'm going to go to the... Um, the depth jump. And here's why, because I'm looking at the neuromuscular system, because like I said, those are two totally different. And if that, that is messed up, you know, we're looking at, that's like more of a CNS. It, we all know by now that the whole, the, uh, the CNS, what is it called? The, you know, the CNS fatigue is very hard to prove. Like there's so many studies that people don't understand it, but here's what I know is if the depth jump is off, something is going on deeper in the brain other than I just trained them hard the day before. So it's more important. So that's step one. And if they're 10% off, meaning if that, if that jump, well, the RSI score, sorry, because it looks at the, the uh, time, the ground contact time and the high. If it's 10% off, then I'm going to pull them aside. We're going to talk. We're going to go back to the subjective questionnaire. And probably what we're going to do is some light bodybuilding and send them home and say, like, relax, you know, meditate, whatever you got to do, but let's bring these stress levels down. Now, the third and, and the final thing that I really monitor on a daily basis is velocity. So, and we really look at 85% of whatever lift is first. So, if, you know, for powerlifters, if it's a squat, you know, sometimes for weightlifters, it might be a snatch or clean jerk probably. And if the thing is, you got to collect data over time, but once I've established norms for that person, once again, if they're, you know, 10%, Low, slower than normal, we're going to cut it, send them home. If they're faster than normal, though, I'm going to probably push it more than I was thinking, especially if it's absurdly, you know, faster. And you have that. When you're working with 19-year-olds, they make, you know, their bodies are, you know, it's like they're on steroids, you know, because their hormonal system is blowing up. So if I see a big spike, then I'm going to take advantage of it. So, but that's it. The key is like what you do, bro. Like if you don't do anything with that data, you're just like, all you're doing is just like making more work for yourself. But I make the changes 
on a daily basis on a fly. As soon as I see a big red flag, we do something about it. Yeah, and I think because that's one of the things that I see a lot is where I talk a lot or not I talk a lot. I I hear a lot of people talking about like client-centered approaches and athlete monitoring and all these different things. But then when you kind of ask questions about it, it's, it's really just like people can talk about it conceptually and pay a lot of lip service. But then I don't know that a lot of people really, really do. So I, yeah. I do a pretty similar subjective evaluation is what you were saying. Um, I don't have the same kind of tools that you do. So the depth jump, um, actually, I'd be interested to hear after this, like what you might use as a proxy for a depth jump if you don't have the, the, the force plate. But right. um all you need is a jump mat for that. You know, those like, it's like $400 jump mats or whatever. Like, that's all you need. You don't really need a force plate for that. You need a force plate for the dynamic strength index. That's all. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so for, for someone who's um, in the gym, then let's say they're just like a, an athlete and they're just trying to kind of get a, a generalized idea of where they're at um, and they want something maybe a little bit more objective. Would you just kind of go by jump height? I know, I know, ground yeah. impact something that's going to be tricky to measure, but um, yeah, I would, and I but I would do a counter movement, you know, because um, yes. the counter movement that you know obviously it takes into consideration the the neuromuscular system more so than just like a static jump. So I would look at a counter movement jump, and, that, and that's fine too. And the cool thing is, is that if it's something that your athletes will have fun with, and that's more important than any of us would like to believe. Yeah. No, for sure. And I think the one thing that I really liked that you mentioned as well was talking about stress and a lot of the other kind of subjective, I guess, emotional, psychological issues that come up because sure. that's something that um, I spoke with John Kiley. He was on the podcast uh, a couple months ago or quite a few months ago, actually now. Um, and one of the things that he was talking about was like periodization. And he kind of had some critiques against, you know, the, the longstanding models of periodization and saying like, you know, can we really predict athlete readiness, you know, several weeks or months or years out? I don't know. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. one of the things that you were talking about as well was like, okay, yeah, we do have this broader plan, but a good coach is going to be able to look at the athlete today and say, what do you yeah. need today? And, and I think that's something that sometimes gets lost because especially when you talk to, you know, athletes or even gen pop up, a lot of the times you'll be like, Hey, what does a coach do? And they're like, Oh, they got my programming. And it's like, well, yeah. But if you want to program, you can just go on the internet and find tons of really good ones for free. Yeah, exactly. So it's like what a coach does is so much more than, than just programming. It's like they have to really yeah. understand the athlete and, and then know what to do with that information as well. And so, yeah, I, I love that subjective questionnaire that you give your athletes. And it's free. You know, well, you got to sit down. Yeah, exactly. yeah you, you, don't, you don't really have to, to have to have anything to be like, hey, what is my diet like? You know, did I get good sleep? How's my mood? How's my stress? All that stuff. Um, and it's it's really, really telling. Like, I know a lot of people are like, oh, what's your HRV and all this stuff. But I think collectively, the questions that you kind of asked for paints a pretty accurate picture, you know, and I don't know, yes. that, tech, I don't know that tech is going to really give you a clearer answer than just subjective questions like that. Anyways, I don't think we're yeah. at, at the point where, where tech is going to be as accurate as people think it is anyways. No, I I'm, I really want to get uh, the Omega way. I don't know if you've heard of that, but like um, yeah. I'm supposed to start working with them soon. And like, we'll see It's you know, supposedly it will tell you closer to the why, but I can't confirm that. So I'm not going to say anything right now. 
Yeah. But the subjective questionnaire tells you the why and like velocity and the RSI and all the stuff I've been talking about. It just says there's a problem, but you don't, what does that mean? Like, it doesn't tell you why the subjective questionnaire is definitely more important because then you can fix it, address it. And really here's the thing. Once you've coached a decade or five years, really, you and I both know when an athlete walks in the room and their face, you can see on their face that they haven't slept, they're tired, they're stressed. At that moment, you should pull them aside. And probably I wouldn't even need to do the depth jump. I know good and well, send them home that, you know, they look terrible. So, but, you know, people like to be, you know, to get buy-in, athletes like to see numbers. And so, so that's where it really comes in is getting buy-in. Yeah, and that, that's actually a really interesting point as well, right? Like, because you said a couple, you kind of referred to it a couple times where you said the counter-movement jump is something that they really enjoy and that's super important. Yeah. And I think that even like effective training has to impact, like it, it has to still be fun because I've seen athletes who are training making crazy progress, but they're like, I just don't like this, <laughs> you know? And so... I what, what do you, what do you do? And like, I know a lot of the times, you know, you'll be like, Oh, well, athletes love making progress and they do. But if you're doing the same stuff for a long, long time, then it gets pretty monotonous. So yeah. Snatch, clean, jerk, squat, repeat. Yeah. Weightlifting yeah, will drive exactly. you crazy. Yeah. So, so what are some things that you do? Like if, if you're, if you're coaching an athlete and it's working pretty well, um, obviously if it's not, if it's working well, usually it's like, uh, probably don't fuck with it, but if you're getting that kind of feedback where the athletes like sort of losing interest, they're, they're losing their buy-in. Um, how do you go about either a having that conversation with your athlete or B knowing what to pivot to next with minimal risk of compromising their, their current progression. If that makes sense. I'm so glad you asked um, this semester, you know, as I said, I'm working towards a PhD. I'll probably be working towards a PhD for the rest of my life, but I'll probably die first. But this semester, I'm, um, you know, I got to, uh, I'm really taking a deeper dive into sports psychology, uh, of which I'll be honest, you know, I've always rolled my eyes. I thought, you know, psychology is a pseudoscience. So I think it's, you know, you can't prove half the shit they say. Uh, but I have learned more in the first few weeks of this sport performance, or I'm sorry, the, the sports psychology class that I think I've learned in the last 10 years because I found where I suffer the most and it's like getting to know each individual athlete you know i have a certain person that i immediately attract and like we're going to be friends forever and then there's certain people that i don't and i just assumed it was their fault this semester i've worked because like here's what happened last semester it's probably the worst of my coaching career like bro you know the first year of the way weightlifting program was awesome. We got everyone got along. We won first year out. So we were like, people were like, how crazy. And then, so I'm thinking I'm king shit. I recruit all these new people. We have the biggest weightlifting program in America and it blew up in my face. I was, I was not prepared. You know, I not considered that I needed to know each individual. Anyway, long story short, what I do now is every Tuesday and every Thursday, I make time for two to three of my athletes and I meet with them outside the gym and I ask them those questions. You know, what's going well in your pro in your weightlifting? What's going poorly? What's going well outside of it? How's your family? I get to know these people and all of a sudden things have completely changed. I went from like thinking that I hated coaching that I was getting to the point of retirement to be in love, in love with it again. And our team is just like, 
I feel way more in control now because like, you know, I know what to expect. I know the people, if they're having a problem, I know it. So I'm expecting it. It's so much better. And then what I've also implemented is a one minute pull them aside. So once it started working, just like, you know, just like when I was an athlete, you know, more is better. So I wanted more. I wanted to meet with them more. I want to get better at it. So implemented a one minute. So I go and I pull them to the side because you don't want people to be around because the, what you see in a group and what you see in real life is completely different. Like I have a kid, I've coached him for 12 years, Matt Weidegger. And like, he would never talk to me in a group with any kind of seriousness. He, you know, he'll joke, be sarcastic. It's his way of, it's his defense mechanism. When we're alone, we get deep and he tells me all kinds of cool stuff. So for example, but I've done it with all my athletes. I try not to show favoritism. Uh, You know, I also, one good thing for coaches listening is I focus more on things they can control. So like when I meet with them, we talk, you know, I tell them, I let them tell me what they think is wrong with, you know, or what they can improve on. They tell me what they think and we agree. And then in practice, we focus on that. So like if an athlete's allowing the bar to drift out in front on the pool, we focus on bar path. I don't talk about winning or beating another athlete. I don't do any of that. And so it's made the process so much better. I haven't had as many outbursts where athletes lose their mind and punch the wall. And But once a week, we still go. Once a week on Friday, we call it Max Out Friday. You know, because you do have to have that competitive advantage. On Friday, we compete. But the majority of the time is spent, I'm just uh, getting to know them. This is like the, uh, it's called a, the label is transformational leadership. It's a theory of like, you know, the more they're involved, the more buy-in you get and the more uh, cohesion, cohesion on the team. And it's, I'm a believer. That was a lot of stuff. (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think you said a lot of really, really important things. And this is something that probably in the last two years has been something that I've really, really started to hone in is probably one of the most important aspects of, of my coaching. And it's funny because like, one of the things that I noticed anyways, and this is just, again, my, my own personal experience was that the more that I started taking like a client centered approach, really listening to like what they were saying, what was going on in their life, um, hearing about their stress, the work, all this other stuff, the more that I actually started shrinking the length of my programs or, or blocks or whatever you wanted to call them. And so now, now I only do one week blocks, right? So it's like, I do one week of training and that's it. And then we evaluate how the week went and then I make the next week. And I I've noticed that those things just continue to feed back into each other. It's like, you know, I get the feedback, I make the program, the program alters the feedback. And then I, you know, kind of go in that. And, and it's been like, a night and day difference in terms of buy-in performance and all that stuff. And I think really where all of it started was exactly kind of like what you were saying, where it's just like really getting to know the athlete, not just being like, okay, yeah, you're tired. All right, well, we'll dial it back a little bit, but like, it's like, okay, you're tired, you're fatigued. Like, well, what's actually going on? Do we need right. to kind of pull things back this week? Or maybe do we actually need to decrease frequency? Do we need to decrease the duration of the sessions in general? Because you've got a lot of shit going on. That's probably not going to, you know, settle down anytime soon. Like I, you know, I've had right. in the middle of a divorce or like, you know, same thing going to school They're they're doing their master's thesis or whatever, or, you know, they're at work and there's this major, you know, contract they're trying to secure or whatever. And it's like, there's a lot of different stuff there. 
And uh, I really like what you said too about being able to act on the information. So there's a lot of shit that people will say, and I've tried to get clients, actually, I'd love to hear your feedback on this, but I've tried to guide clients when they're giving me feedback, because sometimes they'll just send me like walls of text. Yeah. And then I'll try and guide them and be like, hey, here's the stuff that I'm looking for and here's why. So can we just kind of condense it up, keep it really concise? That way I'm not losing out on the on the the bigger picture, like the really important sure. details among that stuff. Because a lot of the stuff they're telling me is just information, but it's not actionable. Right. Yeah. Great point there. That would definitely help me, you know, with my online coaching, but uh, that's a great one. One thing I want to tell you guys too, before we go too far, there is a great question you could ask too. You might, you probably already do this, but at the end of every session, they, there's a question. There's only one subjective question to answer. And it's like on a scale from one to 10, you know, they, you get their rate of perceived exertion. Like did the, did you get your ass kicked and it's a 10 or, you know, is it a one you didn't do anything? And so you take that and you times it by how long they were in the gym. And then there's some pretty good data that says, like, you know, if you're greater than 600, then you've crushed, you've, you know, that session beat them up. Well, the, here's what you get from that. Like, if it was supposed to be a light day in your brain, then, like, your, your uh, intent is, is off from what they're actually perceiving. And so you can make an adjustment as well. And like, you know, if it's supposed to be a light day and they're telling me as a 10, then I've messed up somewhere or like there's more going on in their in, in their brain. But it's a great one to make sure that it's really important that your intent for them is what they're perceiving. And if it's not, then something's wrong either way. Yeah, that that's actually so really, really important. So like, um, are you multiplying the their level of perceived effort? Is it, That's on a scale of one to 10 and then you're multiplying it by the number of minutes they were in? Right. So if it's, yeah, yeah, their number of minutes. I don't know if I said hours, but yeah, the number of minutes. So if, if they're in there two, two minutes, I mean, I'm sorry, two hours, you got 120 minutes. And if it's 10, then, um, then you got, yeah. So it's 120. So that would be 1200. That you beat their ass is what happened right there. Okay. Okay. I guess that would probably be a little bit more relevant to weightlifters or would it? That would be anybody like, you know, like if you get out of it, let's say that you prescribed, you know, three by five on squad at 70%. Yeah. You did some, you know, RDLs, it's supposed to be a seven RPE, three by five, and some, um, you know, I don't know, leg press, whatever. And they tell you that was a 10, then something's wrong. Either that person is one of those few people who needs very low volume, high frequency, high intensity, or something's going on in their life because that's not hard what i just said you know so like that's the point is like no so it would be anybody it'd be any athletes um any strength conditioning athlete or weightlifting you know any anything really yeah no that that definitely makes sense it's kind of cool i might kind of play around with that actually um so another thing you said actually as well was the the client or the athlete's perception of the training versus what was intended and right. that's something I think is like incredibly overlooked because like th there's, there's like, I use a lot of RAR. So like RP essentially. Um, yeah, I get it. Yeah, and um, a lot of the times, even people who are experienced, you really have to know their temperament. Like, are they the kind of person who's going to be more conservative in general? Or are they the guys who are like always just sending it, you know? Yeah. And yeah. like I'll prescribe, you know, let's say like a set of five at like a two RAR. 
And then I'll see it. And like, they hit five, but that five was an absolute, like, that was it. They had nothing left. That was a 10 RP. Yeah. Well, I hit five and it's like, well, that's not the point though, you know? And so even yeah. the other day too, I had an athlete who came in and I, I told her to do a load drop. So she actually, she drives into the city to, to train with me like um, once or twice a week, which is, which is pretty cool. I've been coaching her for quite a while actually now. Um, and she's crazy, crazy strong, like super, super high level. And, um, she, yeah. So she went in, we were, we were benching and she's like, Oh man, I just feel like shit. My technique doesn't feel great. And I'm like, so what are you supposed to do today? And she's like, well, I'm supposed to hit this, but last week I did 72 and I repeated that. And I'm like, okay, so what are you going to do today? And she's like, well, I want to hit this. And I'm like, okay, but what's the program say? And it's like, it says this at an RIR or whatever. And I'm like, okay, the whole point of this is it auto-regulates. It's supposed right. to allow you to adjust based on how you feel. So if you feel shitty, drop it down. That's the point. And so, right. like, yeah, but I don't want to. And she like kind of dramatic dramas that drum. I can't remember the word, but she, she was a little bit overdramatic, but that's, that's fine. Sure. That's kind of how she is. And I was just like, look, like we just need to do a low drop. You need to hit your technique. You need to make sure you're getting the work in and then we'll just adjust for next week because it looks like you're accumulating a little bit too much fatigue. That's all, you know, Correct. but right. sometimes they just <laughs> get in their heads and like, you know, they're, they're like, Oh no, I need to be, they'll treat like they'll treat an auto regulatory style of programming. Like it's a linear progression. Like I'm supposed to chip it every single week, every single week, bro. You're preaching to the choir right now. Yeah. 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 And, yeah. and it's really, it's really funny. And so like, I feel like having those questions around expectations is a really, really important thing too, when you're just kind of outlining a program. And actually one thing that I would love to know is it sounds like you do a, a really good job of this, but in your conversations with your athletes, are you going over like, Hey, here's the plan for this next phase or the block, or how are you actually communicating? Because like, they'll be getting results, but how are you communicating? Like, here's my intention. Here's what we're trying to accomplish in this, in this next couple of weeks. Um, here's how we're going to establish whether or not it's working. Like, are you communicating those things with your athletes as well? Only recently. So I start, you know, I use bridge athletic as the software I use. And right. so throughout every, they give you so many areas within that to communicate. So I write down, here's my intent for today. I will write, um, when they get the whole, uh, four week block, I will say my intent for the whole block my intent for the week, my intent for the day. And like, yes, yeah, but only recently did I start communicating. I just assumed they read my mind, but you know, yes, it's a big help. And, and what did you find was the, was the impact that that had on, on the athletes you're coaching? Well, when I tell them, you know, I'm not expecting you to set, you know, PRs in your squats in this, you know, and during this block, I want you to do the work at this velocity. And then they understand. And, I, and here's why, because right now we're like, right now we're about to compete at the Arnold next week. So a, a max squat is a, irrelevant. What we need to be is snatching and clean jerking a lot. And so what we do is we switch to a very velocity approach more than even before. So I'm making sure that, you know, we're going heavy enough to where their legs are staying strong and I can monitor their leg strength because I'm looking at the velocity at a certain percentage and, but I'm not, I'm not trying to create a lot of fatigue from squatting. You know, now I need to take that fatigue and it needs to be, you know, directed towards snatching and clean jerking. So when they understand that, they get why they're not squatting as heavy or as much during this last few weeks before we compete. Mm -hmm. Example. That's one example. Yeah. Of course. 
No, and, and I mean, that makes sense. I, it's something I've been trying to do over the last little bit where every week when I'm doing their review, like I'll, I'll record a video of myself going over their program and their, their check-in and all that stuff and kind of, um, you know, doing like a detailed uh, analysis of their lifting and stuff like that. And I've been, I've been trying to do that as well the last, I'd say, couple months. Um, but it's funny because like you said, it's, it's tricky because you kind of like sort of assume that they know yeah. <laughs> that they know why we're doing things and, and they just, right. you know, they, they don't. And it's, it's kind of crazy to assume that they do, but that's just another, I guess, another, another thing that as coaches, you know, you can kind of stand to develop because I've yes. noticed that it's been really helpful in terms of how people are executing as well. I mean, even you said like with, with your, with your coaching, if they're, if they're knowing that, Hey, I'm just supposed to come in here and work and this is a priority, they're probably not going to go and max out. Whereas you know, I've had clients where like a couple of weeks before their, their meet, they're like missing a rep or something. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like we don't miss reps here. This is, that right. shouldn't be happening, especially not this close to me. And they're like, I know, I just, I'm feeling so strong right now. And so, like, I'm so excited. And I'm like, save it for the fucking platform. Like, I love that word feeling. Time, you know? like, what does that even mean? You know, like, yeah. what do you mean feeling? I know I get the same thing. And that's why I use velocity, you know, with my guys, because I have so many young boys who are, you know, younger than 25. And, you know, I both know their prefrontal cortex is not developed. So they have no, no, no understanding or conception of risk. They don't know what's what's at risk here. So they'll go heavy all the time. But like with velocity, it's concrete. If I tell them, you know, go to an eight RPE, guarantee they're maxing, guarantee. But if I say this velocity, you know, they, they, you know, they, they adhere to that because I see so much, you know, what made me like, I love the RPE and the RIR system for a lot of people, but that young boy, especially he's the worst. You'll see people and um, they'll be like, they'll do a squat. That was a complete max. And they'll put seven RPE on Instagram. I'm like, son, you're not fooling anybody. We all saw, you know, it's so like, it's so subjective. You're like, you know, someone who's like, you know, completed a thesis, starting to work on a, a dissertation, like su subjectivity kills me. You know, like I want to do as much as I can to quantify and put numbers on things. Yeah. And that makes sense. I like, it, it's funny because I think a lot of these training modalities are really individual dependent, right? So like, I find that for a lot of my female athletes, they usually have a lot better discretion. Uh, I, I would say on whole than, than some of the male clients who were like, Let's just fucking go for it, you know? Yeah. Um, and and so for them, I feel like RPE and RIR for the most part works pretty well. But then for people who have that mentality of just always kind of going too heavy, I can definitely see how a more objective measurement like velocity or something like that would be a little bit more helpful because you're like, oh, well, I thought it was this, but uh, probably not. I should probably, yeah, dial it back a little bit. Whereas right. it was like, well, I don't know. It kind of felt like an eight, you know? No. So, so, yeah, I definitely get that. So, um, no, I definitely want to tell you guys, because it's so important to use, like, you know, I use the, the Kratos, the flywheel. Yeah. That thing is like magic. Like, let me tell you, what I'm trying to, this is not a pitch. I'm just telling you what happened. The, I mean, I had the data. So as soon as I finish collecting, I can't wait to, to release this. But I had an athlete. So, you have Ryan Grimble, my best athlete. And that boy did the flywheel for one week and like nothing changes in a week with an elite athlete i saw the guy's depth jump go from a very constant 36 37 
39 and 40 in one week. And now as long as he's doing that, it stays up there and gets higher. Even with his, you know, he's gone up a weight class because the Olympics, they changed the weight classes and nothing has changed. It stayed high. I don't know really, you know, I knew that, that the flywheel because of the speed of the eccentrics and, you know, that, that eccentric capacity should in theory increase elasticity, but I did not know that in one week it would take an elite athlete and do, do that. So shout out to them. And I'm really excited about the new, Chris told me about the newer one that's coming out. That's going to have velocity. I forget what other metric on it. So I'm, that's really appealing to me. So anyway, that's wild. Do you think part of that is just due to the novelty of the, of the flywheel? You know, if it was anybody other than this guy, I would say so. But like, you know, when you take a, the top end race car and like any change at all is amazing. Like, you know, like you're, at the, you're talking about the top 1% in the world. And then in one week, that's a ma- You and I both know, like when you go from that, that's, that's, pretty six, yeah. that's an amazing increase, bro. Yeah. Amazing. So, so no, I don't think it's novelty in this case. That's wild. That's really, really cool. It's really cool. Um, in terms of like data collection uh, for, for maybe people who, I guess on both sides who either don't have any sort of like actual digital resources or right. uh, people who maybe do have access to that because they're kind of a little bit more nerdy, like, uh, mm. like you and I, um, what, how do you go about determining which uh, metrics or KPIs that you're going to look at? Because I've certainly noticed that, like, for some people, HRV is, like, really, really consistent. For other people, it's nothing. Like, for me, I track my HRV no matter what's going on in my life. I'm always, like, 48, you know? Right. 48 or 50. <laughs> and I could be insanely stressed out, and it's not going to change. I could right. be feeling amazing. It's not going to get any lower. Um, whereas for some individuals, it's, like, completely different. And then, you know, depending on which metrics you're tracking, like it, it, they're just going to be better suited to some individuals. Have you found that at all? Or Yeah. Like, here's what I've done. I don't necessarily, you know, like you take Brian Mann's work in velocity-based training. It's a great starting point. Here's what I found, though. No matter what variable you're going to look at, looking at it at a very individual approach is important. So if I look, let's say we're doing HRV with you, I would, you know, I'm probably going to make that irrelevant because it's not telling me anything. So maybe velocity would. And so you just need to let, be able to get to know you. If I'm your coach, I'm going to get to know you. I'm going to try to figure out what's going on in your life on a day-to-day basis. And like, if, if HRV is not telling me anything on its own, I'm going to scrap that. And then I'll see if velocity works. But I've, you know, with velocity, it's pretty damn on for everybody, especially the, also the, um, the jump mat. It's, it's a telltale sign. Anytime an athlete sets a PR, all of a sudden depth jump, they're definitely going to have a great day going heavy. That I know. Are they going to set a PR in the snatch or cleanser? They have a higher odds of, I have the data that would say they have a, a better percentage, a better chance out of that day. And, but they're definitely going to go heavy that day. So that I know. Yeah, no, that definitely makes a lot of sense. And like, yeah, it's, it's, it's funny how even those metrics like aren't standardized across individuals as well, right? Like a lot of the times people kind of will speak about these things in absolutes, like it needs to move at this speed or whatever, but then you get an individual profile and like, like, well, exactly like you said, right? Like you might have someone who's really strong, but slow versus weak, but really explosive. Everybody's going to be different. Like, those are going to be completely different profiles and then everyone in between. Um, totally. 
Yeah. Um, Individual that, approach there. That's my keywords right there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, was there anything that maybe we didn't cover that, uh, that you think is pertinent to, to share with the listeners? Because I know we're, we're kind of coming up on that hour mark. Um, I think we talked, you know, did we talk about like the things that I track uh, besides where I talked about velocity, we talked about the uh, RSI, the DSI, but oh, um, just basic, you know, anyone can do what I'm about to tell you if you know how to use Excel, but we track total volume. Uh, we look at the number of reps and then we look at uh, metrics like effect size. So that means that on any given day that I shouldn't vary too far from what I've done the prior seven before it. You know, if all of a sudden I jump way up, I'm at risk and I better drop it back down the very next day. That's one. Another one would be cute to chronic. That's a look at each individual day as it compares to 21 to 28 days. Probably a little bit more effective, but you need more data to even start using that. Uh, the third one would be monotony and strain. I don't know if you use, use that. That's a great one. And it's a great one to write your program with. And this one would probably, this would probably um, give a, this would probably give more of a lean towards doing a longer term program because you can look at it you can you can develop it look at it and then just kind of fit that mold you're not we all both know you're some days i'm going to tell a guy to just skip the practice in general but it gives me an idea that i'm waving it and by monotony and strain here's what i mean you don't want to do the same volume day in and day out whether it's low medium or high if i'm keeping it the same then um, the data would say athletes are more at risk of injury you want to have like the heavy days. So like what we do, Mondays, high volume, you know, pretty moderate to high intensity. Tuesday's an easier day. We look at, you know, we do some upper body. Uh, Wednesday is a medium day. Thursday is way low. We just, we look at recovery and technique. Friday, we go heavy. So the whole point of it is that Monday and Friday are separate. So it gives me time to get my athletes ready for Friday where we have max effort. And then on Monday, on, I'm sorry, on Saturday, it's a max effort but strength movements, we look at squatting, we look at pulling. So that's, that's how it rolls. So it's up and down and strain is where you take that monotony score, meaning standard deviation of the week. And you look at uh, that times the total volume gives you your, your strain score. And if, you know, if the strain score is high, you better drop them back down the following week. So those are all free. Everything I'm doing, you know, all this stuff right there, you just got to do the work and put it on an Excel sheet and, Make sure you're doing it right. And, the, you know, the, the data on, you know, it, it's concrete. It's not like a guess. That is definitely not a guess. If your volume is the same every day, you're probably going to get hurt. The odds are saying. So, right. There you go. And so for, for the acute to chronic, um, are, you're, you're looking at uh, one day's, are you looking at volume load per day based on the average? And then what would the... Um, I guess, discrepancy be like, how much of a range would you give on either side to be like, okay, now we're venturing into dangerous territory. Um, it's just like, there is a, an element and I have it. Hold on. I'll tell you, it's right in front of me. Like, so with, um, monotony and strain, you you have like a certain threshold. And for some reason I have to go back and actually like teach this, but it, the equation, the, the people who've thought up monotony and strain, you know, based on the equation, there's a number two that like, because of the way it rolls, if for some reason your monotony is reaching is above two. So if that little, you'll have a little orange line that rolls every single week. You're looking at monotony, by the way, 
on a weekly basis. So like if your standard deviation was high, you know, then, you know, that's, you know, that's good. If it's a low that week, you're going to start inching towards that too. And you have a big, you have a big problem. So the key is like having a really sweet graph to like look at it and to, then you don't have to like actually think back of the math. You can just look, develop it one time because you can go anywhere online and like figure out the equation for monotony, put it in your, you know, put it in your, um, you know, your little Excel graph and then just look, is this thing getting towards two? If it's above two, the following week, I better do something and change up those days enough to where the standard deviation is high and it drops it back down. Does that make sense? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, so, uh, I'll have a look at that as well, actually, because I've, I've heard of that, but I haven't heard that it was an actual equation. I, I was, I've heard of it more as like a subjective measure of how engaged you are in the training and or like uh, staleness, I guess, would be a proxy for, for monotony. Um, right. at least as far as I've heard up to this point. This is the first time I've heard it um, represented as an actual equation. Here's, let me tell you the equation. It's like you take the you take the daily average volume and divide it by the standard uh, deviation of that volume. That's, like, that's what gives you, you know, whatever the volume is, is irrelevant. It's like how much does that volume, you know, deviate on a daily basis? Is that, was that clear enough, you think, for the audience? Uh, or for the audience, uh, could you maybe elaborate real quick on like what standard deviation is? You bet. Yeah. yeah. Well, standard deviation, you know, when you do in statistics, it's like, you know, you have your, your, your daily volumes, it's going to go up and down and then it looks at how much on average did it go up and down? You know, does that make sense? It's, it's as simple as that. Yeah. Forget the name, just know that standard deviation is a look at on a daily basis how far did that uh, um, volume deviate from the average, did it, you know, up and down? Yeah. So like a lot of the times, I guess um, I'll kind of try and give a little bit more concrete example as well in like for uh, let's say a hypertrophy study or something like that, they might say, okay, in, in group a uh, the average muscle mass that was gained was like three kilograms plus or minus one right. or something like that. And that that's your standard deviation. Right. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Great example. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome, man. Yeah, no, that was great. That was super, super interesting. I actually made a couple notes of things that I'm going to go look at myself. Um, I really appreciate you jumping on. It was awesome to have you here. Uh, where you. can people find you? Um, you can go to mashley.com. You can go to Instagram, Mashley Performance. If you're a strength coach, I feel like a lot of strength coaches hang out on Twitter still. And I'll, I love Twitter. I know it's like a not, not many people get on it like they used to. But I love getting on there and talking and like having to the point. I love that, you know, that the, you can only do whatever the number of characters, but you get to the point, you have great conversations. So Twitter, it's at Mashley. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, man. So all the stuff's going to be linked up in the show notes, guys. Definitely make sure you go give him a follow, check out his stuff. Uh, Travis has been putting out awesome content for a very, very long time. And uh, yeah, man, it was a really great having you on. Uh, I can't, you know, it was, it was great being on. I'm just, I, trying to get a trip to go out there and just see you guys maybe sometime but we'll see i hope so right, where where are you looking uh i'm in calgary right now so i'm trying to get uh, get to the u.s um but canada's got a lot of crazy shit going on right now so yeah, yeah. yeah it's a little little wild i'm not sure when i'm gonna be able to, to leave <laughs> one of my business partners is in um montreal so we've been planning we've planned so many trips and it just gets canceled because he, he's stuck there 
yeah, it's it's been pretty wild, but hopefully it's all kind of coming to an end now. But uh, I hope so, man. I think mean, can't we just say that it never happens? Pretending, pretend it's gone. <laughs> so, all right, man. Thank you. Yeah, for sure.